So let me assure you, all right, it's not, you won't be here much longer. I have two things to do today. The first thing is to say goodbye to, to young man Peter. Uh, this is his last Sunday here. He has been uh, with uh, Ryan and, and, and um, Brandy Wolf uh, for, uh, for the school year. Uh, it's been good to get to know you a little bit. Uh, he's got to know Williamstown. It's good to give you a hard time. Uh, please just take it easy the next few days so that you go home with all 10 digits. All right. So if you haven't, if you haven't said goodbye, please do that today after service. The second thing is just simply and quickly to introduce the summer series. Uh, it's not a lengthy sermon today because you have heard multiple sermons this morning, multiple testimonies this morning. So this morning, I just want uh, to introduce our summer series to you. And if you have your Bible or your phone, I encourage you to open it up to turn to probably the most famous verse in all of Christian uh, uh, churches, John chapter 3, verse 16. If you've been paying attention over the last half a decade or half a century, the entire perception of Christianity has changed. It used to be that it was socially acceptable to be a Christian, or if you weren't a Christian, it was, it was good for you and for your business, if you were a business owner, to be associated with this thing called the church and Christianity. It's not like that anymore. Christianity is slowly and at times systematically being forced uh, to the sidelines. So why this pendulum swing from uh, it's good, it's a good thing to I am not so sure about this. Well, there's a variety of factors, and we're not going to dive into all of those, but maybe, church, just maybe, it's our fault. Maybe we have spent far too much time championing the wrong message. Maybe we haven't screamed Jesus enough. Maybe, just maybe, that we have started to bend toward the ideology of the culture around us rather than being that unique, that set-apart people that we are supposed to be as believers. Maybe we've started to pound the world with truth, but it comes out as an angry diatribe rather than the loving message that it is. I don't know. I think it's a combination of those. But over the month of July, this year's summer series, we're going to look at Jesus because Jesus was the master in making the most of the opportunity when culture and faith intersected. So we're going to use John chapters 2 through 5 during the five weeks in July to look at Jesus' example and then imitate that example. Now, during that time, we're, going to, we're just going to, to, to look in. We're going to lean in and we're going to, we're going to look at some opportunities we're going to ask you some questions every week. We're going to ask you, like, how do you engage with people who have different political views than you do. We're going to ask you to, how do you engage with people who are celebrating and with people who are mourning? And how do you engage with people who have been forced to the sidelines for different reasons? How do you, how do you wrestle uh, or how do you engage with those who, are, who have adopted different morals or ethics than you think are right? How do you engage with those whose faith looks differently than yours? And it's not going to be me. You have the opportunity over the next five weeks to hear from five of your family members on how Jesus interacted with culture. So please be a part of those. 
uh, and, and every week that, that, that we give you, uh, give you a, a different person, a different speaker, we're going to give you some different resources to help you with that. Each week, we're going to challenge you with the same five questions. Right? We're going to look in and, 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 and that section of Scripture. How did, or first of all, what segment of the population is Jesus interacting with? Is he engaging with? And it's going to be different each week. We're going to, we're going to ask you, how does Jesus interact with this segment of the population? Because we want to imitate that. And we're going to ask you, what does he communicate to that person or to that group of people? And that's the lesson we want to take away. Then we want to apply it to today, the life lesson for us. What, what, how, how would Jesus communicate that to people today? How should we communicate that to people today? And then the final question for every week is, how should this affect our interaction with culture? Because we want to follow after King Jesus' example and use his strategy, his tactics, and not the world around us. John 3, 16, probably the most famous, most quoted verse in all of Christianity. Now, we could say it out loud, and we might have a thee and a thou, or it might be a little bit different depending on ESV or King James or uh, whatever version translation we're reading from, but we know these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we take that period, that little dot right after that, and we take that as saying the end. But it's not. It's just a chance for us to catch our breath and keep reading. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, let's just keep reading there for a second. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I want you to notice what is going on here. God so loved that Jesus came. And Jesus came not to condemn, but to do what? To save. The world was already condemned. Right? Ever since Adam and Eve believed the lies of Satan over the truth of God, the world was condemned. And we have been pretty consistent in that throughout history. Uh, our sin condemns us. Jesus did not come to condemn us. We can handle that part on our own. Jesus came to save. Notice his tactic. Tactic. He did not come as an agent of condemnation. He came as an agent of salvation, the conduit, the vehicle, the sacrifice of salvation. That is the purpose that he came. Now, did he take the light road? Did he, did he put on kid gloves when it comes to sin? No. Ask the woman caught in adultery. Ask the Samaritan woman at the well. Ask the Pharisees. Ask Simon Peter how Jesus dealt with sin very firmly. But you know what he did? In one hand, he held truth. In the other hand, he held grace. And every single time that we see Jesus interacting with culture, 
truth, and grace. Those were the tactics of our king. Are they yours? So, if your tactics are different from your king's, what does that say about you? Real quick, in 1862, in August of 1862, during the Civil War, right, things were going very well for the Union Army, for the Northern Army. Right, at the Second Battle of Manassas, uh, under, partly under the leadership of General McClellan, right, the Union Army right, weighed lay to the Confederate Army. They were confused, they were scared, and they scattered. Some went to Washington, D.C. Many went to Washington, D.C., seeking refuge from that. The, and, and Abraham Lincoln knew it. The Union Army knew it. Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general, knew it. The Confederate soldiers knew it, that the end was near. And Abraham Lincoln said to his, uh, his, his, his main general, and made him his main general, McClellan, he said, go now. Let's end it now. That was the tactic of the commander-in-chief. Swiftly, let's end it now. McClellan, on the other hand, um, when Lincoln said go, <laughs> McClellan said, whoa. And because he hesitated, he was not able to free 15,000, over 15,000 Union prisoners of war who were in Harper's Ferry that weren't being guarded because he didn't go. He greatly overestimated the strength of the number of the enemy. Right? He had 14 to, uh, 14 to 1 advantage, and he didn't take it. Instead of pursuing, instead of following the tactics of his commander-in-chief, he pumped the brakes, and we know what happened. Over two more years of bloodshed, thousands upon thousands of deaths. Now, they wore the same color uniform. He said, I'm a, a Union general, but his tactics worked against his commander-in-chief. What could have, what might have ended much sooner was drawn out because the tactics of the general didn't match the tactics of the commander-in-chief. If you are using different tactics than your leader, I don't think you're on the same team. We may say the same thing, we may associate with the same people, but if we are using hate when Jesus used love, we're not on the same team. If we, are, if we were pounding the law and forgetting all about grace, we are not on the same team. So in July, we're going to listen to Brett Hauer, to Dave Medley, to Tony Postelwaite, to Jacob Oberlin, um, and, and to Jeremiah Kuhn as they one by one take stories, some of celebration, some of seeing somebody who couldn't operate on his own. And we're going to see what Jesus is telling us today about how to interact with our world with truth in one hand and grace in the other. So if you're on vacation a Sunday during July, make sure you're here at 1015 online or that on Monday morning you're, you're watching. Stay up with us because church the world needs a church who imitates its king
as closely as we can by living, by loving, by leading in a world with both truth and grace. I'm looking forward to the month of July, and I hope that you are too. This week, I want you to start wrestling, though, with the question, do your tactics match those of your commander-in-chief?